born in North Carolina, based in Bellingham, Washington. Broadcast on WHUPLP, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, This is Dirty White Belt Radio, stories about jiu-jitsu life and culture. Robert Drysdale is making a groundbreaking documentary on the history of jiu-jitsu. You probably know Drysdale because he's one of the most accomplished grapplers of his generation, having won both the IBJJF World Championship and the ADCC Absolute Championship. What you might not know about him is that he's a trained historian, and Closed Guard, the movie slated for release toward the end of 2018, is a labor of love for him. At the World Championships this year, we sat down outside the Walter Pyramid to talk about progress on the film, what has surprised him most when researching the documentary, and about the feedback he's received so far. This is going to be the first comprehensive film that tackles jiu-jitsu history from a scholarly perspective. So as someone who's really interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu history, I can't wait to see this. After you listen to the interview, I predict you'll be excited about it too. Robert Drysdale is also coming back to Elevate MMA on September 2nd for a seminar, so for those of you who are in the Durham, North Carolina area, don't miss it. I still use a lot of the leg lock details from his last seminar there. Speaking of North Carolina locals, I want to invite you to join the great folks at Team Hoist Gracie Southern Pines for the Ian Matuzak Memorial Foundation Rollathon on July 15th. This event is going to raise funds for the wonderful charity that supports and enables adaptive jiu-jitsu athletes around the world. Their facility has a huge mat space across three rooms. I've trained there a lot, and it's a great place to train. On July 15th, they'll also have extremely cool raffle items and purchase items from Hickson Gracie, Henzo Gracie, Shanji Hibero, and many more. There's a suggested $15 donation at the door. You can benefit a great foundation to help a lot of adaptive grapplers. We'll post a link in the comments of this show so you can learn more. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play so you don't miss an episode. And if you want to get a hold of us to suggest future show topics, you can email jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com. You can also get at us on Instagram at dirtywhitebelt or on our Facebook page. It's not a huge secret that I'm somebody that loves a cool gi, and let me tell you, Toro BJJ has really outdone themselves this time. They collaborated with Deus Fight Company to produce a gi that not only looks sick, it benefits Dewan Owens' Fighting for Uganda project. Fighting for Uganda is a nonprofit that teaches self-defense, MMA workshops, and also fights gender-based violence in Africa. You can listen to a couple of interviews with Dewan on this show talking about this very project, and you'll see why it's such a worthy cause. And when you see this gi, which you can see by going to our Facebook page, you will be impressed and you will want one, I guarantee it. Mine is in the mail. I think I was the first person to order. If you want to be one of the first people to order, or at least you don't want to miss out on this limited edition gi, you can email Janine Cohn at Janine, J-A-N-I-N-E, at deusfight.com, that's D-E-U-S fight.com, to get your Fighting for Uganda gi. You'll be glad you did. So Closed Guard, the movie, how is the documentary coming? 
a lot of work, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, I will say I enjoy every second of it. Uh, we had a very hectic uh, filming schedule in Brazil. Like when I tell you our days are like 14, 15 hours long, I'm not even exaggerating. But I enjoyed it. Like as much as, as hard as it was, it was, I felt like we were producing something, right? Like something was, there was, a, there was an objective to what we were doing. So it didn't feel like work, right? Like it really felt like we were making history. And because of that, it was interesting. Japan was less hectic, but still bit of a rush. Um, we had a photo shoot in California. We had a second one here. Uh, we just interviewed uh, Hoist Gracie on Thursday. Uh, we got a couple more interviews to go. And um, yeah, man, and then we're gonna, we got some reenactments lined up. We were looking for actors and we got pretty much everyone we need. We got some some surprises, you know, some things that people don't know and we, we hope to surprise. Even, I think even some historians will be surprised with some of the things we found out through the, uh, some of our research. And um, yeah, man, it's been a blast. I hopefully, hopefully we release the, the the movie before the end of the year. Oh wow! That's the goal. If everything goes according to plan, we originally we were gonna do it a little bit sooner, but I think we're probably gonna do it towards the end of the year. Just like a slower time with less tournaments. You know, everyone's kind of quiet down. People are getting hungry for jujitsu because there's not a lot of tournaments going on. So yeah, something like that. But I, I've, me, man, probably the most interesting thing I've ever done in my life. I consider it to be the most important, you know, more than winning any tournament because this is something historical. Tournament is a very temporary thing, you know. You get a kick out of it for a few days, or weeks, or whatever. But this is something that, hopefully, you know, the jiu-jitsu community will be able to appreciate for for as long as jiu-jitsu exists. Mm -hmm. Those of us that are fascinated with jiu-jitsu history, and I think a lot of the people listening to this are those people, are I think really grateful because something that. Uh, approaches jiu-jitsu history from sort of a scholarly perspective where you interview all types of folks with all different perspectives in locations like Brazil, in locations like Japan, <laughs> something that I really think the community needs. And so uh, let me ask, what, you know, can you, what was the most surprising thing to you about that you found out that you can tell us about that won't spoil the movie but might whet people's appetite? We found out, um, First off, there are far more characters into this story than we currently know. Like the version we have is Maeda taught jiu-jitsu to Carlos because he was friends with Carlos's father and he wanted to do Gaston Gracie a favor. Carlos learned, Helio learned from watching. And then we have, you know, that's pretty much, you know, in a nutshell what we've, and then there's a lot of truth to that. There's some distortion, some omissions, but mainly a lot of characters that were left out. And I feel they're extremely relevant. In fact, if you weren't for some of these characters, I don't think we would have Brazilian Jiu Jitsu today. And I think it's fair to say that Carlos and Helio are central to this story. I think that goes without saying. But to say that they are entirely responsible for it is a bit of a stretch. You know, and in their defense, you know, if I were to tell the history, if I were to tell history, you know, you know, 50 years from now, right? I'm in my deathbed and I'm telling the history of jiu-jitsu. I'm gonna tell it from my perspective. It's not my job to tell jiu-jitsu from your perspective, right? So it's not like, oh, they purposely omitted things. Well, maybe they did here and there, but I mean, they're only humans, right? They, they make mistakes too. But I think for the most part, like, it fell on them to tell their version of history because, yeah, someone asked them, like, so, so what happened? So they go on and they tell what they, they, they you know, they, they say what they know. Granted, there are some distortions that are forgivable, others less so. Um, but that's really what, to me, was the most interesting part of the, this film, was really being able to bring some of these characters back to life and, you know, disconstruct some of the myths. And I'll, I'll give you one really quick, just off the top of my head, right? The whole, oh, Helio Gracie was frail and weak and he was sick, and uh, it's not true. 
Like, he was a swimming and rowing champion prior to training jiu-jitsu. In fact, he was very buff. There, I have a picture of Helio Gracie. He's in his swimming suit. He looks like he's on steroids or something. Like, he's huge. <laughs> like, he's not a, like, he looks extremely athletic. You look at him, he looks like these guys are winning the worlds with abs and like very well, you know, uh, lean arms. And, and I'm looking at him going, this is not a frail individual. And he's quoted in the press as being a swimming and rowing champion, for example. Now, I understand why, you know, Orion sold him as someone who was very sick, right? I mean, sure, he's been sick at some point, but like, so have I. Everyone gets injured and sick. But, I mean, was he, did that impede him in practicing sports? Of course not. He fought him in May. He fought, he, he was a competitive guy. Like, you can't tell me he wasn't athletic to some degree, right? But if you're going to sell that to the American crowd, if you're going to sell Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to the world, how do you do it? You can't say this guy is a beast of an athlete and that's why he was winning. No, you say he was frail. That means that anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a lie, but at any rate, it was probably a lie that we benefited from. It was probably good that that lie was told because it helped sell Jiu-Jitsu to the world as something that anyone could practice. And you, you, you look at an average Jiu-Jitsu gym, what you're going to find is that most people in there are not that athletic. They're just average people, accountants, moms, you know, like people with, you know, random backgrounds. And, you know, like if you go to a wrestling class, for example, like, you know, a wrestling program, any high school, any college, they're beasts of an athlete. Like every single one of them, extreme, in fact, they're selected to be part of the wrestling program because they're athletic, right? In jiu-jitsu, you don't have that. It really is a martial art that anyone can practice. So. The, the, that myth was one that jiu-jitsu benefited from. But in any, any case, like, this is something we want to correct because it's not true. Well, maybe we all benefited from it, but it's not true. In fact, that, that, that story of the weak guy defeating the strong predates the Gracie family. It goes back. The Japanese were using that strategy. You know, I suspect they, they used that, the, 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 the Japanese victory over Russia in the, the, you know, the Russian-Japanese War of 1904. They use that as a platform to sell jiu-jitsu to the world. Look at the little tiny nation defeat, defeating the great giant, right? So I think they use that as a platform to promote their, the, their martial arts around the world. And, you know, the Gracie just pretty much build up on it. Like, but it's not a new argument. It's not a new story. The little guy defeating the, the big guy. Everyone, want, everyone loves that story. Everyone loves the little guy beating the big guy. I remember when Gabby Garcia used to compete. And she'd get booed just because, just, not, nothing happened. She just like steps on the mats and she's getting booed. I'm like, just because she's bigger. It's like, it's not, you know, why, what is happening here? And then when she did happen to lose to someone who was smaller than her, it was like the World Cup or something, you know, like everyone's cheering. Because people just love to hate on the big guy, you know, beating the little guy. So I understand why they did it. But it's just one example of many. I just don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. Sure. So, you know, you've obviously done a ton of research and done a ton of shooting. How many hours of footage do you think you have right now? Approximately, by the time we're done, we got two more interviews to go. By the time we're done with interviews, we're going to have approximately 45 hours of interviews. So those 45 hours will be brought down to approximately 45 minutes yeah. of sound bites that we're going to be using and another probably another 45 minutes of narration that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, more or less, roughly speaking, it's something we haven't really, you know, put our foot down on because it, it's difficult to know for sure what exactly it is that the movie's going to look like until we have every all the materials in hand. Like we have a, a, a rough script, you know, and we're following it, but a lot of times, like, a movie, a movie is different. Like, you write a movie and you tell the actor what he's going to say. When I'm interviewing you, I have an idea of what you might say, but I don't know what you're really going to say. And you might say something that's outlandish or something that changes everything. And when you say that, now all of a sudden the script has to change a little bit because that changes the direction of the documentary, right? So there's a little less, we have a little bit less control about the direction of the project, I feel like. Uh, but it's still something that, you know, we, you know, we have a ton, we have so much B-roll, man. 
the amount of B-roll, it's a really good B-roll too. Like we could just have a, yeah, I mean, if you just the images alone, I think will make like the documentary interesting. Cause I, I'm less interested in that at first. To me, that's less important. I, I'm a historian. I think like a historian. To me, the facts are all that matter. That's the whole story. But of course, if they bombard the crowd with facts, right, and nothing to look at, you know, it might be boring. So like we, we there's this other aspect that comes into filmmaking that becomes very important. To me, I was less uh, concerned about it at first. Now I'm aware of its importance, and but I think we're covering that regard as well. So I think the result will be something that's highly informative and very you know, aesthetically pleasing. One of the things that we've been doing on this podcast is encouraging listeners to check out the Instagram for the film, which I utterly encourage you to check out. You found some incredible archival footage, some incredible well, archival that's photographs. That's so nothing. I don't. I don't want. I'm always. I'm always hesitant. Should I show this? Should I not? Because like, there's so much more. But we want to kind of keep it. You know, just sit on it for you know, kind of surprise people a little bit in, in the film. Look, if you if you read, you know, Shockey, if you've read Halo's biography, if you've read, you know, Tufi's PhD dissertation, you probably you're not going to be so surprised. Still, I'm still going to surprise you, I promise you, because we got stuff that no one has. I guarantee you that. But it's, for the most part, the story is there, particularly shock. It's in-depth, you know. I really feel that Pedrero went out of his way to you know, give us, deliver us uh, uh, an in-depth look onto how jiu-jitsu developed in Brazil. And it's the book that inspired the film, ultimately. You know, and, you know like this, I just has to be told in a film format because most people, even if they're fanatic about jiu-jitsu, you're not going to read 3,000 pages. And I, and I get that, you know, I, I can read, I, I enjoy that. Like I, to me, it was, you know, these came out with a third edition recently. I'm, I'm thinking about rereading them just because it's a new edition. But, you know, most people aren't that into history, so it's, it's just less important. But I think that what's gonna come out is something that's gonna be pleasing everyone. And it's been amazing, man, I know. It's just, I can't stop talking about it. One of the things that, that um that I enjoyed in terms of interviewing Tufi as well as reading his dissertation was learning about the role of Japanese Brazilians and Japanese yeah. immigrants. Yeah. And so we talk about the role of Gio Amori yeah. and Takeo Yano, guys like that. Yeah, yeah. Did you find cool stuff about them <coughs> in Brazil, in Japan? Well, what, what's interesting is that, and this is where you really got to give Carlos, particularly Carlos more than Helio, I think, in this regard, is that I think they had this ambition, you know, to, to keep the Gracie name alive no matter what. Right, like they, uh, Tufi refers to as the Gracie patrician ethos, and I love that term because it says so much about this story. I think that really, maybe because they're from Scottish descent, you know, and they're middle of the Amazon, you know, surrounded by, you know, native Brazilians and, and Afro Brazilians, and these, these white, blonde, blue-eyed Scottish descendants, and they, they feel like they stand out. We're different. We're not. And it's it's it's, a, it's a, something that's very ingrained in Latin American culture. America is very colonial in a lot of ways still. And they really felt that they had to stand out in some way. And I really believe that jiu-jitsu was a vehicle in order for that family to stand out. Um, but, you know, the Japanese, they were there, they were migrating. They just wanted to live their lives, you know. They weren't worried about having 20 kids. They weren't thinking about it. They weren't thinking that far ahead like Carlos was. I think Carlos had that sort of vision. Like, he was really thinking, like, this is... I don't think that having 21 kids was, was, was an accident. I think he... I mean, back in the day, it was normal to have more kids, but... The way they, they, from all accounts, the way they, they raised their children, they really, they were trying to create it. They were creating a dynasty, and they were aware of that, and to some extent at least, you know. And I think that's interesting, you know. You see other people that are less, but George Grace to me is probably the most relevant one during that generation, because I think if it weren't for him, the whole thing would have died, because he was the one who was fighting the most, representing uh, not only the family, but jiu-jitsu all across the country. He wasn't just in Rio de Janeiro. This guy's teaching and fighting everywhere. So he's spreading the gospel of jiu-jitsu all across the country. 
But George was a normal guy. Like, you couldn't get him to eat just fruit. Like, when Carlos told you you were getting fruit all day, he was like, no, I'm going to drink a beer. You know, like, that's, he's that kind of guy. He was friends with everyone. He was very outspoken, very free and open. He was the kind of guy he'd sit right next to you, he'd be your friend. Like, you didn't, like, Helio and Carlos, they were very cliquish. They had their clan, and they, this is how we do things, and you had to fall. He's referred by almost every Gracie we spoke to during this documentary. Every single one of them referred to George as a rebel. He was a rebel in the family. That's the term they used. And I think that might be, I mean, I can see why they would see him that way, because according to their standard and how they were raising their children, like, he really stood out. But, I mean, he wasn't a rebel, he was a normal guy. He was just like, no, I don't want to eat fruit all day, Carlos. Like, I want to eat, you know, I want to go out and, you know, and, and live my life. And no, I don't want to have 21 kids. <laughs> you know, he just struck me as a, as a normal guy. And that's why he's not remembered, though. And part of the reason we're, we're putting this, this production together is because we want people to remember him. Because, you know, you could, consider, you could say George is the father of modern MMA. You could make that claim, right? But no one's ever heard of it. He has lineages in Brazil, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, his lineages are still alive, but they're very active, in fact. But just people haven't heard of him because there was no marketing behind it, you know? And that's, um, I think, the purpose, of, the role of the historian is to correct these things. Like, that's what we try to do is to correct these things as best we can. Um, so, you know, history is not unfair with the people who did something. You know, this, this, we're at the, the Walter Pyramid here in Long Beach. We're watching the World Championship goes on. This organization is 20 years old now, right? And this would not be possible if it were not for these people. I think it's fair that we, we honor them. Mm -hmm. Quick story from an old U.S. grappling tournament. U.S. grappling has always had the best tournaments around for both kids and adults, but Jason Bumpkin Wingate from Gracie Raleigh, a brown belt with tons of experience, was tasked with the kids' matches one day. Now, they always put their most experienced and best referees on the kids' matches because that's the future of the sport, the consequences are a little higher, and they just want people to be able to pay closer attention. Now, often, referees are underappreciated. It's a really tough job, and it's thankless. Nobody notices when you do it perfectly. Everybody notices when you screw it up. But Jason did such a Great job that day that U.S. grappling got letters from multiple parents about how attentive he was, about how he was right on top of the action, and about how clearly he cared about the kid's experience. That's the type of experience that I've come to expect from years of competing at U.S. grappling. You can register online right now for U.S. grappling Columbia, South Carolina on June 30th and U.S. grappling Charlotte, July 14th. It's going to be a lot of fun. Save you some money by registering early at usgrappling.com. You've interviewed, I know from the Instagram, you know, we don't have a complete list of the interviews you've done, but I know you've talked to several Red Belts. And what insights have you gotten from some of those folks, particularly some of the non-Gracie Red Belts? Well, the, the, the problem with the Red Belts, and we spoke to a lot of, you know, a lot of them in their 80s, 90s, and the problem is they're too young. That's the problem, they're too young. The only, it's true, like that's, yeah. I mean, ideally they'd be 120, and mm -hmm. then we'd be able to, okay, now we can really use what you have to say. But they are the people who knew the, the characters in the story in their youth. You know, in their youth, they knew, they knew personally knew a lot of these characters. So we felt that keeping their testimony, this oral tradition alive, was extremely important. With that being said, you got to be careful with oral tradition because oral tradition is one of those things where if the person who is, you know, giving you that narrative, like the, 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 the person who's bringing forth that oral tradition, if that person benefits from that tradition financially, emotionally, politically, socially, in any way, you immediately have to be suspicious of that oral tradition, right? So if I say something, I don't benefit at all. In fact, it harms my case. You have every reason to believe me. But if I say something and it 
sets and there's an agenda behind that because I benefit from that socially, let's say, or financially, then you have reason to be suspicious, and that's the problem with oral tradition. So a lot of these grand masters, when they're telling, when they're giving us these accounts, they, uh, you know, they're they're biased towards their friends and their instructors, and you can see some of the things they said weren't true. You know, we know they're not true. So there's a lot of editing going on as well. And the reason we brought, like, two feet helped us for a while too, but the two that have been helping us the most in that regard. Uh, are Fabio and Pedrera. They've been working as consultants for us and like we're trying to weed out anything that's not true and try to be as objective as possible without, I don't want to be the judge of anything. Like as a narrator and producer, not, I'm sorry, as a writer and I'm not, not the narrator, but as the writer and the producer, I have the power to steer things in any way I want. And that's the truth of the matter. Like I'm the one writing it. I can make anyone look really good or really bad. Right, and that's it's just, it's just it's it's how art is, you know. And there's you can't go around that. But I don't want to make any judgments. So whenever there's something controversial, I go to these guys because they've been studying it longer than I have, and I ask for their opinions. We go through the sources and we analyze them as best we can. We're trying to be as pragmatic and as objective as we can, without being biased. Mm-hmm. And some some things are so controversial, we're gonna leave them in gray. Where it's gonna be, it's not gonna be this or that. We'll leave it. Or, or if it's not really that relevant, we're not gonna mention it at all. It's not relevant, we don't know for sure, don't bring it up. But I, I feel that, you know, because we, we have this in mind, we're really trying to be objective, what's going to come across is something that's very, very down to earth and not, not, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm not a Gracie, I'm not a Gracie hater, I'm not a Gracie lover, I'm like, I'm a historian here, I'm being as objective as I can be and I think some people will be slightly, the crazy thing, man, like this is a crazy part, this, you're going you're gonna to like this. So, I was expecting hate mail. I got, I'm going to get some haters. I'm gonna, I might become the most hated person in the history of jiu-jitsu. I'm okay with that as long as I, as long as in my, you know, deep inside, in my heart, I know that I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm just really trying to tell the truth, right? Or as close as we can, we can get to the truth. But I was expecting it, mainly from the Gracie camp. I'm thinking, okay, the, the, the Gracie lovers, they're going to come across, and they're going to hate me, and they're going to attack me, and they're going to, whatever. I can back it up. I'm not going to be saying anything we can't back up, right? But it's, the reaction's kind of been the opposite. Based off interviews I've given, people are under the impression that, you know, we're going too easy on the graces. And the hate I'm getting are, are for people from the opposite side of the, of the spectrum where they're going, you know, you should really talk about Carlos's personal life, you know, and Helio's dealing, Helio did this to that person, and Carlos, and they really feel that the movie won't be complete unless we attack Carlos and Helio personally, which is something I don't think fits into a movie about the history of jiu-jitsu. Now, if I were making a history, uh, if I were making a, a film about Helio Gracie, I'd talk about the good and the bad. I'd talk about all sorts of things. Like, for example, I'd talk, I'll tell you about the one time he jumped out of a ship into, a, into the waters infested with sharks and he, just to save a stranger. Now, very few people, very few people would have the courage to do that. You know, and here's this guy jumping into the water to save a stranger from sharks. Like, how many people, I don't know if I would do that. Like, it takes a lot of courage. Like, if I were making a, a documentary film about Helio Gracie, I would be talking about that, right? I'd also tell people that he referred to Valdemar Santana as a monkey, and that he was a member of the Brazilian fascist party. All right, so here we have a racist and a fascist, but he's also a hero because he's willing to save. Well, that makes him human, right? Like, I'm not, I don't approve of his political positions. I don't approve of his racism. But at the same time, like, I can, I think that his, his attitude of saving a stranger is very commendable. Like, I admire that. I don't know if I would have that courage. Right, but the movie is not about Helio Gracie. We can talk about Carlos's personal life at length too. It's not pretty, but it's not about Carlos. See, it's about Carlos's role in development jiu-jitsu, or mainly, actually, it's the, the story of jiu-jitsu where Carlos and Helio play fundamental roles. Right, 
And because of this attitude, we, we've got some, some, some flack. You'd be surprised. Like, I wasn't expecting that. That really caught me off guard. I thought that, okay, maybe some, you know, Gracie fanatic is going to physically attack me on the street one of these days. But, no, it's been the opposite. That's interesting because I would have expected what I, – I would have expected the opposite. Um, and so it's interesting that that's the feedback that you've gotten. Toro Cup 10 is about to happen on June 23rd. There are going to be dozens of amazing jiu-jitsu matches, and we have something exciting and new this year. Remington Place Productions is producing video promos for 10 of the most exciting matches voiced by yours truly. So if you want to hear a preview about exciting matches like Gannon Lang against Evan Arredondo, or Josh Murdoch against new black belt DeAndre Corby, and congratulations, DeAndre, you can go to the Facebook page for Toro BJJ, facebook.com slash Toro BJJ, or check out torocup.com for a full list of the matches. Either way, Show up at Triangle Jiu Jitsu slash Cade Side MMA slash Toro BJJ World Headquarters at 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina on June 23rd. Raise money for a good cause while watching great Jiu Jitsu. You'll be glad you did. Broadcast on WHUPLP, this is Dirty White Bell Radio. I'm interested too, you mentioned you just interviewed Hoist Gracie. And you mentioned that that went well. And so I'm curious about, can you tell us a little bit about your, um, the interview with Hoist? So, yeah, Hoist was, uh, um, he was very friendly. We interviewed at Rodrigo Grace's Academy. That was on Thursday. And, um, you know, he, he we, we, we wanted, we basically wanted to talk to two members, uh, um, two from Carlos' side of the family and two from Helio's side of the family. So if Carlos' side of the family spoke to Carlos Gracie Jr. and Hobson Gracie. We tried to speak to Hela as well. Hela wouldn't, she, she has her book and she felt it was a conflict of interest in some way, so she, she wouldn't talk to us. But, um, and then on Helio's side of the family, I thought of Hoist because he's so iconic. We tried to talk to Horian, but Horian wanted money and I wasn't going to pay him, you know, and a lot of money at that. And... You know, Hoist was, was forthcoming, and I feel that he's more iconic than Horian because he is arguably the most important figure in the history of jiu-jitsu because he is the one who made it international, let's be frank. Mm-hmm. So I can't think of anyone more important than Hoist Christian. Not that he's a, histor- a historical expert. Like, he didn't know that, and he is willing to admit, like, I don't know that much. I only know what my father told me. And once again, you know, if I ask you your experience in jiu-jitsu, you're going to give me jiu-jitsu from your perspective. So when Helio's telling his, uh, his story to, you know, his, his children... It's based off of Helio's perception of what happened, and Hoyce picked that up from his father. So he's repeating a lot of things that are extremely relevant, right? And then there's some, you know, some misconceptions here and there. Nothing dishonest, but saying things that we can correct these days because we have access to the, these archives, right? So well, it's not exactly how it happened. We can we can back it up. Little things here and there, right? But he was very open. He was very friendly. At the end, he was thanking us. You guys are doing really important work. And I, it's one of those things. Like, and this is what I tell people. Like, look, we're changing the beginning. The end result is this right here, the World Championships at the Pyramid. Like, it, uh, it doesn't change. We, we keep, no one could ever take credit away from the Gracie family. When I say Gracie family, let me, let me rephrase that. The, the characters of the Gracie family that played a role. Because in my view, some of, the Gracie, some of the members of the family played a negative role in development of jiu-jitsu. They actually did more harm than good, in my opinion. But, you know, Carlos and Healy are so central to this story that if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be here right now. So, I don't, I, I, that doesn't change. If we correct a thing or two and we add a character or two, and if they happen not to be from the family, and if they, you know, so-and-so lied about this and that, that doesn't take credit from them in any way. Ultimately, we're here because of them, and it's one of those things, like, what I have done, some of the things that they did in order for us to be here, I don't think so. I, I like to think that I would have said, no, I wouldn't, I, that's where I draw the line, I won't do that. 
you know, but at the same time, it's because they did what they did that we're here. So it becomes an issue in that old age old question of does the end justify the means? You know, and that's that's a, it's a tough argument. It's a very I, I've fought that I've had that argument in my own head a million times, and I don't I don't have that answer for it. It's because of what they did that we're here, but not everything they did is commendable. You know, so it's a, it's, it's it's a tough. We're not going to talk about these aspects. Are like if you're really interested, you can look into it. But we're going to stick to the development of jujitsu, which is to me the the most interesting part. Did you talk to the Fada folks at all? Yes, we spoke to the Fada uh, family. His, his grandson is still teaching the same building. Wow. Yeah, the same building has been standing there since 1947, and they're, they're teaching the same same building, same, same place. That's incredible. Like I can't. Like, to me, that alone was like, okay, it was worth the trip here, right? And Fada is interesting because it's a complex lineage. You know, if you think the Gracie lineage is complex, you know, and we're gonna talk a little bit about it. Like a Fada lineage is far more complex. And I don't want to, you know, spoil it, but some surprises here and there because it's, it's a very unique, uh, it's, it's a unique story, right? It stands out for a number of reasons. But to me, Fad is important not because of the lineage. To me, Fad is important because he opened jiu-jitsu to the suburbs of jiu-jitsu at a time when Helio and Carlos were teaching the Brazilian elites. You know, ambassadors, diplomats, actors, wealthy people in general. Fada was teaching the suburbs to poor kids who never paid. He was teaching the handicapped. He was, you know, manufacturing geese from, you know, a sack of potato because they couldn't afford geese. So Fada plays an important role because he opened jiu-jitsu up to poor communities in Rio de Janeiro. And in Brazil, I'd say that about 60 to 70% of the Brazilians who are winning medals here come from these, they call them projetos in Brazil, the projects. And they're poor kids who train for free. My suspicion is that 67% of Brazilians who are winning in here come from these projects. I had one in Brazil, almost everyone that teaches jiu-jitsu in Brazil at some point helps out with one of these projects, you know? And I really feel that in some ways Fada was instrumental to, to, to get that ball rolling. Like, I think he was the first one to do it because up to then, too, you gotta remember, the original Grace Academy only taught privates. Like, the whole class train, group training, that's not something, like, George started with it, you know? Like, a lot of people give Carlson credit for that, but George was the first one that was teaching group classes. Helio and Carlos were very much private-oriented. Privates, 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 right? But Fada went a step beyond, and he's not even only teaching group classes. He's teaching to the poor and the young and poor kids that couldn't. Normally, they'd be, they probably drift into, um, you know, like a thuggish street life in Rio de Janeiro, you know. But instead, they were trained jiu-jitsu. So I, I, this, this, this sort of impact, we can't always quantify. We can quantify in a lot of ways what Helio did, right? Quantifying the, the, the effect Fada had on society is difficult to do because those people don't train anymore. They're dead. But I really feel that his role is really important because of that, and that's something we want to talk about. We want to give him credit for that. So you mentioned that the film is going to be uh, part just straight interviews and part some dramatizations that are going to be made using actors. How did you come to the decision to use the dramatizations? Well, basically, no documentary is complete without archival footage, right? But here's a problem. There's no archival <laughs> footage. So, like, okay, so we have this amazing fight that went on between so-and-so, right? But there's no footage of it. Like we can't even get like, for example, let's say we wanted to show like the Kato, the, the the Kimura Helio fight, right? First, we don't have rights for it, you know, so we have to buy rights for it. And that's not cheap, um, and the, it's edited. Like we don't have the full fight. Like, does the full fight exist? My suspicion is that it does exist, and it's buried in some dungeon in Brazil. But it does exist. What we have is an edited version. 
So the archival footage is is instrumental, right? But there's there's the particular period we are talking about. Maeda's. There's no footage of Maeda. We have we found some footage of Fada, by the way. So you guys are gonna people are gonna see Osvaldo Fada teaching jujitsu, and then that's exclusive. No one has ever seen it before, except the people who handed me the video, right? Uh, so there's that. That's exclusive, original, never been used before. But most of the footage we would like to have doesn't exist. So what do we do? Our way around that is to have reenactments. So we're going to have a reenactment of Maeda teaching in Belém do Pará. We're going to have, um, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to spoil it, but we have some other reenactments, some fights, introducing some characters that are relevant. And I feel that this, these reenactments will be a way of people have like a, you get a glimpse of a feel of what jiu-jitsu would have been like then. And it's just something that's going to go, you know, along with the B-roll and, uh, and the interviewees. But... You know, it won't be the it won't be the the, the core. It's it's still a documentary production ultimately, so it's not a it's not a movie per se. So you mentioned earlier that you had gotten some pushback from people, but not the pushback you expected. What I'm wondering is, when you went out to do these interviews, either in Brazil or in Japan, did you meet with any resistance? Like, did some people say, "No, nah, I'm not talking to you because of this," or did we able to talk to some people who were we, reluctant? Interesting. Into- well, yeah. Well, Horian asked for money. Hala asked for money too, basically. Um, that was the resistance we met. And then while we were in Brazil, people were, at first, we spoke to some of these grandmasters, and some of these guys have either never been interviewed or that it's been like 30 years since anyone interviewed them, so they were very excited about being able to share their story with us. And it happened at least one case where we asked him a question. It was a tough question, and he gave us an honest answer. He was on the spot and gave us an honest answer. And later he contacted us and asked us to please, you know, edit that and not to put on documentary. Because he, he kind of got upset when we said, well, you signed the waiver here, sir. We have the answer. And he was adamant about us not using that answer. Was it true? No, it's true. So what's the problem? Oh, I don't want it to go on there. You know, I don't want to. He felt it was going to upset some people. And he wanted to get involved in, in, in that political, uh, political struggle with people he knew or respected. And. So I, we wouldn't respect his wish, even though technically we could use it. You know, it's, we, we have assigned a waiver, like there's nothing you can do about it. But I don't want to cause any problems and strive with anyone. And it's not really that necessary in the grand scheme of things, so we're going to edit it out. Uh, but that happened. Like, we were, that caught us off guard. But no, for the most part, everyone's been very, you know, forthcoming. Like, the, 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 um, the feedback we've been getting, generally speaking, has been very positive. It's been thank you. Thank you for doing this. It's time someone has done this. And... I'm just happy I'm the one doing it. Like if, if someone were doing this before me, I would have been like, shit, that should have been me. Like I should have done that, you know, I would have done it well. You know, but I'm just glad that I'm the one doing it. So I'm super excited, man. Time we're all super excited too. I think there's a real hunger in the community for stuff like this. There is, there is. You know what's funny? Um, I think the jiu-jitsu community today as is, is um, overwhelmed with technique, gossip, you know, like politics, bragging, vanity. And I think there's a lot of people who don't participate in that world, and they're kind of fed up. They love jiu-jitsu. Like myself, I don't participate. I kind of remember the last time I went on a website to read about who's talking to who and who's doing what. Like, it, it's, it, it, to me, it kind of resembles a Mexican soap opera right now, and I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in other aspects of jiu-jitsu that, to me, have a little more depth to them. You know, um, I'm interested in the psychological aspects of fighting. I'm interested in, you know, like how overcome difficulties through martial arts. These things, for me personally, are very interesting. History is something I'm very passionate about, and I find that a lot of people are passionate. I'm not the only one. A lot of people are interested in this story, but the truth is, like myself, many people just took these accounts for, you know, like, for the truth. Like, this is what it is because everyone's saying so, so it must be true. So if you go on the internet, there's all, you go on Wikipedia, 
And I, I just lost so much respect for Wikipedia because I happen to know a little bit about this history now. And I'm reading some of these, like, these characters' Wikipedia's, and I'm like, wrong, 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 wrong. And like, I have to sit down here one of these days and just edit Wikipedia and just correct it because there's so much of it is inconsistent, right? But um, I just think it's just, an, it's, it's just important to correct these things, you know? And I think a lot of people are, are you know, they, they're interested in, in, in the history of jiu-jitsu and I think the community, like you said, the community is ready for this. And I think that there's been a, well, there's a, there's a gap there. There's a hole there in that community. And they were, they, 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 they wanted like, okay, this is what we're waiting for. We need something different. Like we've had, we've watched all the instructionals, right? We've watched all the tournaments. We know who's who, you know, the, the competition scene is incredible, but there's more to jiu-jitsu than that, right? And I think that that's where we come in. We're able to do, to, you, you're able to experience jiu-jitsu with different lenses on now, so. I hope everyone can put on their histori history, historian lenses on and, and you know, enjoy the film. So the goal is to get the film out before the end of the year. Until then, folks can, get, can follow along on your Instagram. And yes. in any ways, other folks can stay in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our Instagram is at uh, CloseGuardTheMovie. Basically, like we're in the, the production part, the post-production part, where there's a lot of editing and you know post, uh, transcripts and translation. So there's not much, unless I give, end up giving more away. And I don't want to give too much away, but you can have an idea of who we talk to and what the, the direction the movie is taking if you go on there. And then I, you know, we found some some posters, you know, from uh, Maeda's time in the in the live in the, these, some of these libraries in Brazil. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to use that. Now we're going to use that in the film. There's a part of me that wants to make it the, the, the cover of the film, you know, because they're so cool. And, you know, people would flip over it. You look at it and you go, oh, man, that's got to go on a T-shirt, you know. But I'm like, nah, we got it. No one else does. We're going to hold on to it. You'll see it if you watch the movie. So. You can always make the shirts after the movie comes out. Something like that. Like, I'm just thinking, it was, I'm not great at marketing. You know, I'm really bad at it, actually. But, you know, this, I think that this, at some point, will be necessary. We're going to have to try to, or like, you know, I just I truly look at things, Jeff. Like, I go... If something is really good, you don't have to market it. It's that simple. You know, marketing is a way of like, you know, you, you dip into these loopholes in human psychology and how to try to convince people of something, you know. And, you know, the wheel never was never marketed. You know, the wheel was good. It caught on. Like, the internet was never marketed. It was a good idea. You know, I hopefully, like, the, 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 the content of the film will be so good it will market itself. And that's where we're putting all our energy. But... We might make some t-shirts at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put a link to the Instagram in the comments of the show as well as a link to the film website when the film comes out so people can watch it. We're super excited to watch it, and um, thank you so much for doing this work. Oh, it's really necessary. Thank you, guys. And I, I normally don't ask this. Like, if this were, if you were interviewing Robert Dreisel as a coach, as a competitor, as a fighter, I would never be asking this. But as a producer of a film that where I'm losing money on, essentially, you know, this is something I'm doing out of passion, uh, I really ask people to help promote it. You know, please promote it because it's for the community. You know, I'm not, you know, to me, it's the pleasure of doing it. That's the only thing I'm getting out of this is the pleasure of making this happen. But help promote it, follow us, spread the word, you know, have your grandma watch it. Hopefully she'll like it too. And yeah, so it's just something that hopefully will be archival and people will appreciate for the years to come. U.S. Grappling comes back to Richmond on July 28th. Richmond is always one of my favorite places to visit and to compete. Tons of great gyms there. Seth Smith's Upstream BJJ, Richmond BJJ with Eric Burdo and Liz Susson, and of course Revolution BJJ featuring such luminaries as Andrew Smith, Daniel Charles Frank, Trey Martin, Jarrett Church, many, many others. All of those folks are likely to be on the scene July 28th when U.S. Grappling returns to Richmond. Plus, all your friends from the DMV usually come down, as well as everybody from the Triangle, from Wilmington, really tough grapplers from North Carolina, 
Carolina, it's a great spot to train with and compete against people that you don't always get the chance. So come out and have the best tournament experience around at usgrappling.com. Register early to save some money and to make the tournament run smoother. Hopefully we'll see you there. My thanks to Robert Drysdale for taking the time to do this, and I'll echo his charge. If you like seeing projects about jujitsu happen, you have to support the ones that come out. Let's make sure everybody sees Close Guard the movie when it comes out toward the end of this year. A quick reminder, we still have several shows from the world, including one with Gustavo Dantas, the BJJ mental coach, about how to improve your game coming out. We'll have a few shorter shows as well as a bonus. You can subscribe to Dirty White Belt Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play so you don't miss anything. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can always email me at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com or get at us on Instagram at dirtywhitebelt or on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cagesideradio. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again on Sunday.